This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. How is one's redeemed life in Christ walked out in this world in which we live? And how does the church function in community life? This and more on Planted. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm, here once again with Thad Keenel. What's going on, Thad? I feel like we just did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, this is the Planted Podcast, and we, are, we record this here in my office, and, and we, uh, uh, we've been pretty consistent about three weeks in a row or something. That we've, we've, so often we'll miss a week or something will come up, and our schedules allowed us to do this, so it's good to, yeah. good to see you here. Keep this conversation going. Well, it's good rolling. to be back. I appreciate you, you know, yeah. inviting me to be a part of this. It's a it's a good time. And well, I thought you invited me to do this podcast. I think I did, but <laughs> you're, since you're the host, <laughs> well, um, we we do as we've shared before. We we really have a blast doing this, and and uh, uh, it helps my um, Bible study and, and spiritual growth. I hope uh, I think Thad has expressed the same, and oh, yeah. and we hope that it's beneficial for you too. Because uh, it is our desire with the Planet Podcast that we're rooted and grounded in the Word of God, and the the, the really those core essentials of the faith that we want to bring out, and and that um, we draw life as we'll talk some uh, today, you know, from from the Word of God, and 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 if we're um, seeking other sources of of trying to orient our life to other things, um, we're gonna. Uh, wither up and die. Right. So. And you know, you said something that's pretty important. Uh, I think in my world anyway, is that when we are coming to do a podcast, we don't just show up, you know, blind. Right. And so you have, pre- you have to prepare for, for the study and to right. have the conversation. And if you are, you know, somebody out there who's listening to this right now, who doesn't spend a lot of time in study on their own, uh, it's it's time to maybe consider forming a small group mm-hmm. where you can get together and even lead. Don't worry about having all the Bible knowledge that you think that you don't have. We all feel inadequate right. at times, right? I wish I had more preparation for many of these podcasts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do too and, and stuff. But what you'll find is when you have a class to go to or prepare for, it forces you, it gives you initiative right. and a prompting to prepare. That's and right. that's that's really what began my time in becoming a serious Bible student is when somebody asked me to teach for them as yeah. a substitute. Right. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. But what I did is I looked at the notes and it was, it was led through a um, you know, you don't have to go in blind. There's lots of right. study notes that you can go through and just lead the class, but it helps you to prepare and you'll have a blast doing it because you'll find things in scripture that you haven't looked at before. Right. And so, you know, that's just a word of encouragement to to everybody yeah. out there. And if you are, you know, here local to Brighton, Michigan, and uh, part of our, or part of our church here at Cornerstone, and you are not in a group and you don't have that, you know, reach out to me, Pastor Matt Graham at Cornerstone uh, Church. Uh, the, the My email, I think that includes in the show notes and things like that. Yes. Or you can call our church, go to our website, cornerstonebrighton.com. And uh, yeah, we have plenty of those opportunities for you. So please uh, keep listening to our podcast, but also find find your own people that you can discuss with. I think you see, hopefully you even hear in our interaction how iron sharpens iron. Right. And, and that there's just something about being able to dialogue and discuss and debrief and challenge uh, one another in the scriptures. That's the way God made us. And so, uh, so yeah, please, please check that out and uh, prayerfully consider uh, being a part of a group. Absolutely. Good. So what do we have for today? Well, today I, we're going to, uh, I think we'll, we'll read starting in verse seven, just to give some context. Cause we really pick up in verse 12 for discussion, but it's good to bring that in uh, within what came before it. And we'll try to get through verse 17 today. Uh, you know, we've been uh, talking a lot about the proclamation of the gospel, witnessing in word and in deed. Uh, we've spent the last couple times talking about this uh, contrast between living in a way 
that would not be uh, obedient to God and that which would be uh, in keeping his commands, in uh, demonstrating our love for God uh, by our love for one another. And, uh, and so the, uh, and we've said over and over again that this uh, keeping of the commandments and this obedience to God is in no way meritorious in terms of earning a salvation, but rather it is um, a duty we have out of, an, out of a relationship that already exists, uh, this covenant relationship we have with God where we've entered into fellowship with God, the koinonia that, that John opens this letter with, the reason for which he's proclaiming the good news so that we could have fellowship with one another and with, with the Father and the Son. And so it's out of this that he, um, in his rhetorical, almost this, in some ways, some people think this is almost like a sermon that is written where it's very thematic. We've even used the word circular. He keeps coming back to some of these themes and ideas. And so, um, so we're going to see that happen again uh, today as he uh, discusses, uh, continually discusses this, um, how, we, how we live uh, and, and choices we make. These uh, And today in particular, we're going to get into this contrast between the things of the world versus the things of the Father. Right. Let me ask you this question, or at least in summary, what we've learned so far in our previous studies. Uh, first of all, this is a letter to a group of believers. It's, yes. it's written to the church. But with that, there's categories of people that he's speaking of. Some He's encouraging believers, it seems to me, that may not feel like either their salvation is adequate in Christ or like they're lacking something, right? So there's an encouragement there. Mm -hmm. And then yet there's a little bit of a warning for those who are thinking a little bit too much about their high position. And then there's others that he's speaking to, uh, which is really a warning to the church for those um, who are outside of faith, but you know, claiming things that are outside of salvation in Christ alone or looking at mysticism. So there's there's several different categories of people being kind of addressed here, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there there are. So there's a, you know, there's the, uh, but there's all, in, in much of it, because they're part of a church, they're, they're going to be coming to the congregation and hearing this. They are orienting themselves somewhere around Jesus, but there's some distortions potentially that need to be dealt with, right, in terms of their view of, of you know the literal incarnation of Christ or their their view of themselves you know in terms of what Christ has done for them or um or even the, the what it means to live for themselves at now to live in this physical world right you know and so yeah. and also uh, to keep an eye um for people that might be pre- preaching a different gospel exactly yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. well let let's pick up here uh, i will read uh uh, from the ESV, starting in verse 7, and and then we'll pray after I get through verse 17. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know who you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Dear Lord, we come to you today and and pray uh, for you to guide uh, uh, Thad and I's discussion, guide us, um, lead us into your word, uh, into all truth, and we pray that it would be uh, ongoing uh, benefit uh, in our spiritual eyes, our spiritual ears, 
uh, our very hearts, that we are drawn closer and deeper to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so go ahead. No, I just, I always have a question, it seems like yeah. out of the gate, because we're reading this, um, but I notice a difference. I'm I'm reading this and following you in the New King James Version, mm-hmm. so um, uh, I've got some blended verses here, but somewhere around uh, 12 and 13, um, I th- maybe it's still, yes, maybe it's still in 12, but it says, um, because, here, let me just start from the beginning. So I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Is that what yours actually states? Uh, mine says, because you know him. It doesn't say you have known him. Uh, so I have, because you know him who is from the beginning. Oh, uh, you know what? I, I actually read mine. I was following it incorrectly. So when I just read it, it actually makes sense. So it does follow you. What I, what I actually heard myself read, and this is going to be a little bit convoluted now because I'm adding something that's not there. I thought it actually read because you have known from the you have known him from the beginning. Okay. But it's it, it's actually knowing God um who is yeah. from the beginning of all things basically, right? Yeah, so the so I just I'm just checking the the verb tense here. It is a perfect tense. And so it, it with the perfect tense it is a um a, this ongoing you are knowing him. You are yeah, it, okay. it is an ongoing thing and it, it it's the word gnosko which is, you know, kind of this knowledge um it's to arrive at a knowledge of someone or something. So it can be just knowledge about, or it can be a person. So when it's a personal, you know, the object, of course, it has, it has more, it has related to that relational knowledge, but it is, it, it often is kind of in the informational um, kind of standpoint, but, but you can go on to, to, to have the connotation of, to grasp the significance of the meaning of something to understand, to comprehend, you know, so, um, but I think it. I think we. It is the one. It is the personal God that we're coming to know, and and so I think that that is. Um, uh, it's very interesting for me as as we see this. There's this pattern here of repetition. So you have the writing to children, to fathers, to young men, and then it repeats in the very same order: children, fathers, young men. And we'll we'll discuss that in in a minute here. But the. Uh, the there's a, a causal statement with with each one, and so as it relates to the father, right? There is this no the knowing is the as it, it's it's repeated as it comes to the father. That's kind of the because uh, in each of those things is because you know him, and and then uh, in verse thirteen, it's from, you've known him from the beginning, and that's repeated well. Who is from the beginning? So, okay. uh, which if we think about it, it that's a repetition from the beginning of the letter. Um, that which was from the beginning, right? Yeah, and we talked about the eternality of of Jesus, but also that that Jesus did come here at a point in time uh, in the incarnation. You know, uh, but but it's interesting here. Um, the in that it is you know him who is from the beginning, uh, and so who's the him? Uh, especially if you think about at the end of verse thirteen when he when he readdresses the children, it says because you know the father. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly kind right. of one of my thoughts, right? Sometimes he could be talking about Christ, the Son, or or the Father, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's obviously Yahweh, regardless. But there's times that it's, you know, you want to stay within the context. So here right. it's probably regarding the father. But I was thinking as you were reading it that he was speaking of the son. Well, and, I, and yeah, and I think it's possible, especially when if you think about the fact that that's who he's referring to at the opening of the letter in that phrase in the in, from the beginning. But it's also that the life that they proclaim, which is Jesus, was with the father. You know, from the beginning, <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. So, right. It, it so, could actually, yeah. you know, obviously, there's a op- or there's a chance this play on words could be done on purpose. Yeah. You know, it, it makes people think like we have to, right? right? And and there's really no wrong answer because Christ is the perfect image of the Son. Yeah. 
Of the father. Of the, <laughs> of the father. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Right. See how, see right. how difficult this yeah. is? Right. Well, so uh, it just struck me as I was rereading again and putting it back. Yeah. We, we, we spent a little time in verse 11 last time, but it's interesting that the, the description of the brother that's in darkness, but he hates, he hates his brother, he who hates his brother, the brother um, is in darkness, and, and it says, and doesn't know where he's going because his darkness has blinded his eyes. And this whole idea of, and I think it's going to relate as we get, especially down in verse 15, talking about loving the things of the world, but there's this... Um, this blinding, being blinded by the darkness because of the absence of light, right? And we talked about how when light breaks through, it breaks through. Uh, but in contrast, I wonder if it's out of this idea of, the, okay, the darkness blinded his eyes. However, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, or, or even later, he says, um, uh, well, here it's little children and then children. I don't think there's a distinction really of that added word. I don't know that he's trying to make a distinction between the two groups. But the point is, is that these because statements are the things that bring light. The, 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 these people he's writing to should not be considered blinded because, and what are those because statements? Um, and so the first is recognition that our sins are forgiven. Uh, and it, it is in, and in verse 12, it says, because your for, sins are forgiven, for his namesake. Mm-hmm. So here, that third person pronoun, we know that relate. We know that's Jesus there because it's for because of Christ that our sins are forgiven. Uh, and so, and then so later in verse thirteen is the him who's from the beginning also the same as the his whose namesake we're forgiven by. You know it. It right. It, well, that could be. Uh, yeah. So you know, and again, there is this. It just screams Trinity, mm. really, is what it does, right? Because when you think of him who is from the beginning, you think of the Ancient of Days. Yes. And when you think of the Ancient of Days, you typically think of the Father. But when Christ takes his seat on the throne, it describes him as the Ancient of Days. You right. know, it's a, it's a very interesting a blend of Trinitarian language almost. Right. But as we go back, and we don't need to rehash this again, but you, you brought it up because the darkness... Um, has blinded his eyes. One of the things that I was thinking of, because if you're walking in darkness and your eyes are blind, this is speaking of somebody who is uttering things that like they are part of Christ's family, but truly aren't, right? right? Because they're, they still remain in darkness and they're, the darkness has blinded the eyes. One of the things that I was thinking about when you were reading that was a parallel of how people of the world, people that are unsaved, when they hear truths, they deny it and they kind of suppress that truth and unrighteousness. I was thinking about the Roman one scenario, you know, as, as even though truth can be coming into them because they're, they're still in darkness, they actually push back against that, you know, because they want to keep their eyes on the things that are fulfilling the things of the lust, the lust of the flesh and stuff, which we're going to get to in a little bit. Right. Yeah, and 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 that the emphasis here on the solution or the thing that brings light is is again oriented around the Father and the Son. Your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. Mm-hmm. You know Him who is from the beginning, uh, because you know the Father, um, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And so there's that orientation there, especially as it relates to the, the children and the fathers. And then it's interesting when we get to the young men, there's a there's a causal statement too, but he relates it to overcoming the evil one, which, uh, which I, I want to just put on pause for a minute, but, uh, but I think that's, that's an interesting discussion to have. Before we do, though, I, I do want us to have this discussion of the, the different thoughts concerning children, fathers, and young men. What's the, is there a, a significance to this? Because, you know, commentators, theologians on this passage have varied a little bit on that. And so uh, you, you shared with me a little before we opened up that you don't know that we need to make su- such a big deal about 
that or no no it was it was more you're wondering is this just is this chronological age or is this spiritual age that's the debate right yeah that was what was brought up and there's you know there's other places in this letter that he's calling um with a compassionate phrasing the congregation that he's writing to little children already so you can see you know my my beloved my little children so he's speaking to them in that matter uh almost like he's speaking in terms of of a family unit and this could be regardless of maturity level or of age level it's just you know it's all inclusive and he's 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 yeah i love you like a family this is you're my my little kids you know and And you're my father and the father's here you know just i refer to little children fathers listen to also and and young men, everybody should listen to every phrase. It's just he he puts them in different right. ways. Yeah, so, so yeah, so getting to the next phrase where it speaks of little children, young men, and fathers, I was thinking that maybe it's breaking away from spiritual maturity levels more to just speaking of eldership levels, like as far as like right. physical, like young kids, you know, middle-aged right. guys. and The whole congregation, and, and, regardless yeah. of age. Right, and yeah. what made me think that is in verse, I, I skipped down here a little bit, but near the end, um, in verse 14, he speaks um, to the young men. I've written to you, young mm-hmm. men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Now, when I heard strong, I was thinking, you know, Physically strong, but yeah. maybe it just means spiritually strong. So maybe, yeah, maybe it's. But uh, yeah, so I don't know. What are what do the commentaries have to say about that? Well, a couple like I, I was a couple that I have open in front of me as one's the ESV commentary, and then I have one too from from FF Bruce, and they they tend to I think they're looking at it from a spiritual potential spiritual maturity um, description, uh, and and I think a lot of it it relates to. The because is, is what when you first come to the faith, when you're young in Christ, one of the first steps in coming to the faith is acknowledge the fact that we're sinners and we need forgiveness. And so that, you know, that first uh, fruit of faith is, is the repentance right, of right. sin and placing our faith in Christ alone, you know, for forgiveness. And so that would be kind of that spiritual children thing. And then then fathers, if they're older in the faith too, then they know the one who's from the beginning. So there's this deep, deeper, more intimate knowledge of the eternal God and and all of all of His uh, counsel and wisdom and personhood and, and things. And then and then for the young men, it would be uh, a little bit more okay. The young men, they're the ones out there. They're you know they're raising families. They're working every day. They're they're the ones in really probably have in much more engaged in the battle of of the world and the life right. of right now. And so so they're the ones who um, who have to come the the over constantly overcoming the evil one, kind of on a daily basis, uh, kind of a thing. And so that's the that's kind of the, the opinion of those who take. This as this these spiritual levels. Uh, so, um, like, I'll just read a little bit here from FF Bruce as it relates to the young men. He says the young men whom John addresses have shown themselves worthy of his commendation. They have overcome the evil one as he assures them twice, and thus have proved that they are strong, endued with spiritual power, and the word of God abides in them. Uh, so, so there's yeah, there's that kind of having to show themselves worthy. You know, all the time. Not that old men, older men wouldn't, but it's more like almost like they've been there, done that. Right. So so he's actually saying more of a physical age level at that point rather than a spiritual level. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is. uh, Let me jump in on this because as I was thinking about the, um, and, and you can. Um, think about what I just said, but the when Paul's writing his letter to Timothy, he speaks in places about the elderly. You know, he's talking uh-huh. about how you are to handle honoring the elderly and the and the older. So if you take your steps off of that, it could be something that was parallel in that same type of thing. But I guess when I, what I was saying, well, why don't you finish your thought? Did you? Well, may, no, maybe I, maybe I've characterized that wrong. When I, when I, when I talk about out there living, you know, uh, 
I, I think I characterize that wrong in the sense of equating it to raising families and out there working every day and things like that. I, gotcha. I, think, I think that was my mischaracterization because that's not what that, – that would be more just chronological okay. age. I think what he's saying is more they've reached that point in the faith where they've learned to engage um, that. Uh, so because if I jump up earlier, he says they, they are the believers who've reached the stage of spiritual development where they are expected to bear the burden and the heat of the day. And they are the church's first line of defense against attack, where that attack takes form of overt persecution or subtle undermining of Christian faith and life. So the equation, it would be in 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 chronological age, that, that there's that's the person who's out there on a daily basis doing that, you know, from a chronological age. But if you equate that to the spiritual age, what is that? What's the spiritual equivalent to that? Right. And that's where he says it's they're the ones who are then um, where they're bearing the burden in the heat of the day, and they're the first line of defense against the attacks of the evil one. And sure, so forth, sure. So. Well, we try to uh, stick with spiritual issues most of the time anyway, so it seems like that's where I want to go in my mind. Mm-hmm. If it's not, uh, we can still have that in consideration because certainly we're always talking about growing in faith in Christ. So right. so that's fine. Yeah. You know, and if it is actual... Um, age level, then that's cool too. You know, because it applies to both. It really does. Yeah. yeah. And and so what 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 I find most interesting about all of this, as it relates especially to the description of the young men, is that it is this battle with the the overcoming element of the evil one. And and in this in the, the in the repetition here we have this addition. So the first time it says it says I'm writing you young men because you've overcome the evil one. And then the addition here at the end, it says, writing young men, because you're strong, and probably referencing the fact that they are overcoming the evil one, that they, they've overcome, right? And so they're showing themselves strong. And then, then the, it's, the two, it's the thing that, that he puts in between you've overcome the evil one. It says, and the word of God abides in you. Right, yeah. You know, the, the, that, that's the key here, I think, to all of this is that when it says, the word of God abides in you, right? Because um, we—it's not be, you're not strong um, in and of yourself. You're strong because of He who lives in you. Exactly. And as we've talked about, and again related to why we titled our podcast the way we did, is the importance of having that for that good, rich soil of life that is that feeds the roots of our spiritual tree, you know, is the river of life being the word of God and the, his instructions that we know that, that that is deeply embedded in us, that the word of God is written on our hearts. It's in our minds. We, we dwell upon it. It says the word of God abides in you. And that could, that can be the word of God being the Lagos Jesus um, abiding in us, which it is, but it, but it also, we actually have the words of Jesus in the scriptures for us. And so it's that which helps us grow and, and be strong. And if we think we can be strong apart from the knowledge of him and and how to uh, live that out in life, we're not going to we're not going to overcome the evil one, right? Right, right. We can't. We can't do yeah. it. We can't do it without him for sure. Yeah, yeah, so so as we as we've talked about before, uh, the importance of Knowing what's true about God and of ourselves, and what's knowing about the, the truth about Jesus and our and where our salvation lies, that's where our strength is. And so, whenever we we engage in in any kind of battle with evil, with any kind of battle with the evil one, our our victory is always in Jesus, in His life, His death, His resurrection, ascension. It's not in anything that I do. It's not even in it's not even in the fact that I have faith. It's in the one in whom my faith resides. That's where our strength is. And so that is very important as we think about this, because at times I can, I can think, oh, I've, I've experienced victory. And so I can get, I, I can even get a little bit overconfident sometimes, even in the fact that, well, I've been a Christian for a number of years and I, you know, I, I know, I know this or that, and it's not in my knowledge of it. it it's more in, in the fact that I'm hopefully what I'm learning is to rely upon and lean upon and trust in these things that I'm learning, not just in the fact that I've acquired them. Right. Absolutely. I was thinking about what Pastor Chris was speaking of in service on Sunday 
And the concept where Paul was speaking, where his strength lies. Yes. Right. And he was saying, he was talking about his persecution and the things that he was going through and the idea of being weak. But when he's weak, he's strong because it's Christ is strong within him. That's in in Corinthians. Um, I was going to look that up real quick, but I I didn't. But that, the idea. Yeah, that's his idea in Corinthians. Yeah, uh, for that. And as he's defending his own apostleship, but he's doing so. I'm doing this out of, of out of weakness, right? Right. And even I think in there was it's the passage about talking about his thorn in the flesh. That it was, yeah. Absolutely. That he doesn't, yeah. Um, so that he himself doesn't become overconfident, right? And so, and so then the passage that uh, Pastor Williams was his his core text, his main text for that message is Ephesians six and the armor of God, right? And so we're we're in that whole thing is we're to be strong in the Lord, uh, and we're to put on His armor. Um, and so he even went back and showed it from Isaiah and the prophets that that even the words of that armor all are are shown back in the description of the the servant who's to, who's going to come and and bring us back to God. Right. And so uh, so again that everything all the strength everything we have is in the Lord. Right. I found the passage. It was okay. in Second Corinthians twelve. I'll just read it go. really yeah. quick and. He's speaking of this thorn in his flesh, and he was pleading with the Lord to rid him of that. He said he went to the Lord three times, as you had already mentioned. But in verse 9, he says that the Lord says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength, this is Christ's strength, is made perfect in weakness. That is in your weakness, Paul. Mm -hmm. Therefore, Paul says, Most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then he goes on and says, therefore, I take pleasures in, infirm- in infirmities and reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. And man, what a just, uh, what a statement of spiritual maturity here that he recognizes that when he is at his, you know, all time lowest, that Christ can shine through and in all of his glory and all of his grace, the gospel message can can go forth in in our own weaknesses. And that gives us great encouragement that we don't have to be at the top of our game at times, yeah. right? And also when we're low, that helps us to remain dependent upon Christ. Exactly. And, and, and so we live out of the benefits of the gospel we receive. Uh, and if we ever if we ever start living out of some something else, then we're gonna uh, we're gonna figure out really quickly that uh, we're not gonna be an overcomer. <laughs> oh yeah, right. absolutely. Well, yeah. well, I think God does that to keep us humble as well, right? He'll expose He'll expose our weakness and what we think is strength. Yeah, He will. That's part of His loving discipline of His children. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's let's go on um, and and get into these uh, next three verses. Uh, where we have this contrast between the love of the world and the love of the Father. Uh, So verse 15, don't love the the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, We'll get to this, how this needs to be looked at in light of the love of the Father. But first, I just want to address the issue of the world. I brought this up a little bit at the end of last episode, and I said that it, I think in the epistle, it's mo- most of the time the world is used in this context. And I, I say, well, you know, I looked at it again, and they, there still is other connotations of, of the, the word world. And, uh, and I was even looking at a couple of the, uh, the, the dictionaries with the word. It's the word cosmos, uh, or forms of the word cosmos. And it's very interesting that that Greek word itself, just the word itself in other contexts, but especially you know, in the scriptures um, when it's used— Gosh, it has a wide range. Uh, right. So I'm just going to list a few of the, and this is just kind of the, the the five or six bold headings from which then there are subheadings among each one too. Number one actually surprised me that this was listed first. It says that which serves to beautify through decoration, adornment, or adorning. Interesting is is cosmos. Uh, then. Uh, two, condition of orderliness, orderly arrangement or order, which that makes me think of the creation story, right? The order right. of, of, of yeah. the cosmos. Uh, then three, the sum total of everything here and now, the world, the orderly universe. 
uh, that's what we, we, we often, we would think of that one. Right. Uh, uh, the fourth here is the sum total of all beings above the level of animals, the world. So in that sense, we would say the sum total of all humans, you know, above the, or maybe, I don't know if that would include spiritual beings or not. Uh, and then uh, the fifth one here is planet Earth as as a place of inhabitation, the world. Mm-hmm. So just this particular planet, as opposed to the whole cosmos, of which we sometimes refer to as the universe, right? Right. And then, um, I guess there there are, even under that, they're interesting. There's like four subheadings under that one. And then six here, it says humanity in general, the world. And so just the, the general human population. And then number seven, the system of human existence in many aspects, the world. Um, so uh, the systems then of the world. And then eight, there were actually eight, it says collective aspect of an entity, the totality or some total of something. It's cos- which I find interesting too. Oh, so. I got you. Yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah, yeah sure. You know, so the um, the world of automobiles. So I guess. the I don't know so the seventh said. definition that you gave um, in, in the world system, yeah, is probably what we're looking at here. I would think as we consider Satan sometimes as the god of this world, he's the god of the world systems, right? The things that are not of godly things but of values things that we that we value and covet in this world and i sometimes i you know idolize above god maybe yeah yeah so so like the b under that heading is the world and everything that belongs to it appears as that which is hostile to god mm-hmm. lost in sin wholly at odds with anything divine ruined and depraved yeah so yes yeah, so i think that is where where this is going, the, the, the world, but then also you have the, the, in the things of the world, because then you have, which we, we talk with first the world, then you have the things of the world, but then later it also says, um, some of that's defined as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, which we'll get into a little bit. So, which even there, you can even maybe even start to draw some distinction yeah. between, between that. But well, this it, is a good lesson for us in how to use context. Yes. And so, Glad you brought that up because really the thing that's that should help us provide definition for this is that it's what is it being contrasted with directly in in verse fifteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the love, yeah, the love of the Father. So right, right so the, and it says and we're being commanded here to not love the world. Yes. So that wouldn't mean, um, in a sense of things that are righteous in the world or things that glorify God, but it's it's speaking of that system that's against God. It, yes. So any system that's against God. And so we often think of that in terms of like political systems. Uh, we might think of uh, like in, in Paul, he would talk about the, the rulers and the authorities, the stoicheia and the the um, exousia, I think, are the a lot, sometimes the words that are used there, and those principalities and powers, which often have are those spiritual forces that are manifesting themselves within the world systems that where there actually sometimes are human rulers or human institutions and governments that are set up, and that they are not acknowledging that God. Their their mission, their purpose, and existence is it has nothing to do with with the kingdom of God, uh, and so uh, uh, so that I, I think a lot of times that. When we think about loving the world, but but it can also it doesn't have to just be governments. It could also be like corporations. It could be you know Apple. It could be <laughs> IBM. It could be you know General Motors. It could be anything that, that this institution that has a lot of um, is of the world. It could, but it could also be the um, you know it could be the entertainment. Um, uh, industry, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it, how many people idolize the people in the entertainment industry? Right, that's. that's most of it's you know not pro god things. Godly. Yeah, so the, and so under all those things, they're usually operating out of some core philosophy of life. They have a think about a worldview. We use sometimes use this word worldview how you how you organize your thoughts about reality and life. And there's often a certain worldview. Is, is your worldview a capitalistic profit bearing worldview? And if if it is, if that's the purpose of of this, your existence is to earn and make money, 
and, and get as much profit as you can, that's a particular world system right, that right. you're operating out yeah. of. There's something that is said in, uh, in Philippians as well in, in chapter 4 and verse 8. It states this, uh, and as he wraps up his letter, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So with that, that that describes things that are really still within the world system, but that are of God, that are glorifying things, that are um, that are righteous in and of, of the purity that God puts on them. And so things that are opposite to that speak more of that world system. I mean, that's, that's how I'm seeing that. Yeah, no, I think so. And that's, and if you were going to talk about the love of the father, you would talk about those things the, right. the, the, because the father is pure and noble and of, of uh, beautiful. And, and if we think about the beauty in light of those things, right. That, so really it comes down to where, what is, here's a question I thought of as I was preparing this and just uh, think about is, is love the answer to everything? All we need is love. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean I guess in the in the world of music, you know, there's love, love, right. love. I mean, so yeah, of course love's the answer to everything. <laughs> well, yeah. The I, I think I I mean I've I remember I've heard Oprah say this before, right? One of the great philosophers of our day, you know. But someone who many people look up to and outlook on life, you know, it's just like, you know, the answer to everything. We just need we just need love, and you may define that as Jesus. Somebody else may define define it as Buddha. Somebody else may define it as this. It you know. It's just, but the, the reality is, we just need love, and. And I'm like, oh, no. I think how we define that is important. It really Who is, Who defines yeah. that force is important. It, it's not just love itself, because he says here, don't love the world. Love here, you can. he's saying you can love the world, and that's not a good thing. So really, the, the issue is, where are your affections placed? Right. And on whom are your affections placed? And here, it's let the Father, let, let God, the God of the universe, um, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think we, you know, we'd be fair to say here, it, that's what needs to define our love. And, and we, need to, we should ever be growing in understanding of what that is, just from the Word of God, which we just talked about in terms of what needs to be abiding in us. If, we, uh, if we're not constantly redefining and refining and reforming, our love in view of what God's love is, then we, um, that's not the solution. Right. And if we're just talking about passions where your love is focused, this is what it's speaking of here as well, right? Exactly. So, which yeah. leads us to the yeah. next verse. Yeah. So he goes on to say, help us a little bit for all that is in the world. And he says the desires of the flesh. So what are the desires of the flesh? Um, you know, what's, what's the focus there? Right. Um, and then he goes on, then the desires of the eyes, and I think they can be related, but is when he talks about flesh here, is he talking about it in the same way that, that Paul uses that word, flesh, in terms of like the old man, the old nature, those things that are, those desires that are set against God. If they're coming from the world, um, they, it would be those things that are drawn to that world system within our old man. Right, it's not just that my skin or my bones are somehow, you know, bad, you know. But it, but it's it's what's again, what's the orientation of that? And, and so, um, so, as we as we think about the desires of the flesh, uh, you know, Paul will list Paul. Now, this is this is John, but if we think about like the list in Galatians that is in contrast to the the. The things of the spirit, uh, Paul s- says in Galatians uh, five nineteen, the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 like physical um, pleasures and gratifications yes. that you're seeking outside of satisfaction in, in Christ. Right. 
and then he says, and the desires of the eyes. Um, that so often it's our eyes that draw us to the can draw us to those things. I think uh, that's very true, and I think I heard Chuck Missler say that the the, the portal that Satan uses is is our eyes. So he the things that we look upon. Look at the look at the fruit, Eve. Yeah, you know, exactly. This, this is good to eat. Oh, and she looked upon it, and it was. It did look good to eat, right? right? And so, but uh, the portal that God uses typically is by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and that of the Word of God, mm. right? So, uh, what we see, we can covet. I mean, it's it's no you know surprise to anybody that uh, we can lust for the opposite sex, you know away from our spouses right, and right. stuff like that because of what we see. And yeah, people can be beautiful and stuff like that, but you're dwelling on that or my dwelling on on that particular person and thinking impure thoughts or whatever leads you down a, a terrible path, right? right? And it's not a godly thought anymore. So, you know, or how about just a, a material item? How about the guy with all the money? I can look at the money that he's got. I'm and I can lust after that. Right. So, uh, I think it fits with the idolatry aspect of things. It does, and so it's not the thing itself that's bad. It's it's the fact that why we're being drawn to it that we want to somehow let it give us life, right? So if my neighbor comes home uh, and, and, and he he goes out and buys a one of the brand new fancy sixty thousand dollar Ford Broncos. Uh, or maybe 70,000, I can't remember what they are now, <laughs> right. but they're really popular. And he comes home and he's got all the bells and whistles. Maybe it's the $80,000 version and it's, you know, it's got everything. And I'm like, and I look at him like, that is really cool. You know, that's fine. And I can look, it's really cool. But I can also look and say, that's so cool. Why does he get it? And I don't. Right. Yeah. You know, that, then it's like, oh, I'm putting my identity, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to want it instead of just appreciating it for what it is that I'm like, I must have. Right. You know, so it's like David and Bathsheba, right? David looks uh, across there and he sees her and he, he says, uh, he doesn't just say she's beautiful. He's like, uh, I saw that it was good and I took it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. That I have to take it. And it's that. It's that, that that is being born out here. And so, and with that then becomes the pride of life. Uh, and, and so, and sometimes it can, sometimes it's, this is translated into the, the pride or the possessions of life or things like that. It's the, the whole idea that I need to possess these yeah, things. Yeah, or even just self-success. Right. Yeah. Yes, that, that I have to attach myself to this. I, I happen to be listening to an interview with, with John Piper, um, Earlier today, actually, and they, they talking, they were discussing a little bit the what Satan offered Jesus in the temptations. The whole this whole thing that he's offering him uh, to uh, rule the world, you know, right. basically. Uh, and so, that, you know, can he really do that? Well, if he's the prince of this world, you know that he he has that authority or whatever. He must, to have, offer he must him. have been able to offer. Otherwise must, it would have been an empty offer and exactly, Christ would recognize right. that. Yeah. But it's interesting. They the, raised the question, why would he want to do that? Why didn't he want to hold on to that? Why would he be, for what reason was he willing to give that up? And it was worship. He want, He was asking Jesus to worship him. Right. And so the ultimate thing, that ultimate form of pride Right is that I want the honor, I want the glory, I want this. That was that was his motivation, about, willing to give that right. up for that. Yeah, and think about the shortcut for Jesus, because <laughs> his way that the Father sent him to accomplish the possession of the world was to go to the cross. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And Satan here is offering. All you got to do is bow your knee to me, and you don't have to go to that cross. Right. You know, that's oh, there's. Not one of us could pass that test. It had to be Christ. Well, it had to be. But it, but as it relates to the pride of life, yeah. th- that's the very thing Satan, that's that's his orientation. That's the thing that, that re, that's, that's the, I think in some ways, the essence of his rebellion against his creator. Let me show you is, where, oh, is oh, that sorry, desire. And, and when we, when we 
go down this road of love of the world, ultimately what we're hoping is to is to allow it to bring us some form of pride and power. Maybe in the acquisition of things, maybe the people, maybe my neighbor will start to worship me. Maybe he'll start to envy me like I'm envying him or whatever. You know, that that these things somewhere there's this pride issue really becomes a lot of people say pride becomes before the fall or pride oh, yeah. is pride is the root of all sin. And I think we see that here and it really is it's the care it's the chief characteristic of the evil one. And if we re- if we relate this back to what it talked about being strong, it's how do we overcome the evil one? Right? It's it's back to how is our mind being transformed? How are those hearts desires being transformed? Do we desire the love of the Father above all else? Yeah. And so Wow, there's so many areas in my life that you just exposed. <laughs> I there you know, our points of weakness, they're, they're different from individual to individual. Right. Right. Uh, for those of us who are in Christ, who trust the word of God, we have, because we're different persons, we have different levels of weakness. And the idea is to recognize that and not excuse where our point of weakness is as, well... This is this is just going to be my my weak spot. I'm never going to comp, you know t- tackle this thing. It's just going to be my area of falling, right? And I think about um, how the church has turned in the past couple of uh, generations in the homosexual viewing. Is it um, is it sinful, or can homosexuals really go to marriage if it's if it's if it's really love, love, love? Right, right. You know, and that you're, whole aspect. It's just love that I'm, you're right. denying my love. Exactly. Right. And so the excuse is for that person, that's their tendency. That's their point of weakness, let's say, right? And this happened to me before <laughs> when I was saying to the the person, all right, I'm going to grant you just that people ha- are born with a bent towards homosexuality. Because some people say, no, no, nobody's bent that way. But I'll give it to you because we all have our bent towards sin. I'll, I'll grant you that some people are bent that way, and you're saying that that's okay to fulfill that. Now, are you okay because my bent is to lust after other women? Are you okay that I have an affair on my wife? No, you can't do that. Right. Well, wait a minute. Why? That's my weakness. Right. I mean, I can come up with the same excuse, right? Or but, I have a bent towards losing my temper. And so if you step on my toe, I can scream all oh. kind of obscenities at you and push you and hit you back. And that's okay because that's my bent. I, I, I just know, born that's just that my way. bent. I can't control myself, right? right. And so um, we are without excuse, <laughs> yeah, right? right? In particular, uh, this, is, this is for people who are in faith. The idea is recognize it and beat it into submission and then get an accountability partner because I need it. Right. You know, we need to be able to bounce these things off right. of each other. And this is all about growing in the grace of Christ and in the fellowship. And um, it's it's not by our efforts that we're accomplishing anything, but the fact that we're recognizing that Christ is worthy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I think about, you know, Cain bef- before he murders Abel. Um, Yahweh knows what's in his heart. Yeah. And he says to him, sin's crouching at your door and you must master it. I think it's very similar to this word overcome. Sure. I, you know, yeah, really. You got to yeah. overcome it, right? That's great. And so how's the overcoming? And so what's, what's he say to overcome the evil one? It's, it's letting the word of God abiding in a sense. Out of that word, the word of God abiding us is, is knowing the love of the Father. And is our orientation the love of the Father or is it the love of the world? Um, and, and so when, it, when we bring that, at the end of the, verse 16, he said, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. That's the distinction. So if you want right. to know, if you want to, like, what's this mysterious world? What, how do I understand the world? Well, you'll understand, you can define the world when you first define the Father. Define mm. the Father. Understand his purposes, his love, his calling. And when you look at that, all you need to know to define the world is anything that's contrary to that. Right. No, that's um, exactly right. And that's why the biblical worldview is so important, right? People, it is. If you want to say love, 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 you what do you by how are you defining love? Right. Oh, there's gotta be there's gotta be the yes. primary thing of love, which is God, of course. Right. And and he's the one that defines all of these characteristics of, of what we go through. But you know, if people want to fulfill that, it looks like they can enjoy their lust forever. Oh, wait a minute. No, there's verse seventeen. <laughs> Well, they may, 
they may enjoy their lust forever. They may then understand the torment that comes along with <laughs> pursuing that lust forever. Right. Right. Uh, that's the that's the thing that they're you know all these things you know there's a reason they look good to the eye. Right. There's a reason that the flesh desires them because there is going to be some kind of temporary benefit. Um. You know. There's the. I was just thinking earlier today too, and reading this, the, some of the different things. You know that you know those first couple drinks of alcohol, they're going to be good, and the feeling you get for the first hour or two hours are pretty good. But the next morning, man, do you feel bad? Right. You know the 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 person who's who's addicted to pornography. You know the the temporary satisfaction, but boy, the 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 shame the, the, the and, shame and the guilt and the the feeling after that is 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 gone. It, does not make it worth it. Same thing, you, you input your thing, you know, whatever. Go in and buy in that, if you're addicted to, to uh, material things and, and, and buying that new thing, you know, you go out and you buy that new uh, purse uh, and like, oh, what a rush, you know, and then the next day it's like, what am I going to buy today? Right. You know, it's like, oh, I don't feel worried, I don't feel good about myself again. And like, oh, God, you know, it, the point is, it, it, it's never, it, it, it doesn't end. It doesn't fully satisfy the way the love of the Father does. And so, so then we have verse 17. We talked about this some in the last episode. We talked about the, um, the darkness passing away, and now we have the world passing away. And so we have this association. The darkness that was talked about earlier in chapter 2 is, is the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the word of the will of God abides forever, lives forever, dwells with God forever. And so... I think it's good. Again, this this has become such an important thing in the last number of years for me. As I and I, I've always been drawn a little bit to eschatology and the future of things, but to see how the the few that all of Scripture is future oriented. And eschatology and is the study of end times. The study of end, end times, things. the study of okay. of future things. Um, but the but that isn't it. Isn't what's come to me. For me to realize it isn't just about that final day. It is lead, but there's so much that leads to the final day, and there's so much that God has promised in the uh, in the scriptures that is we're already experiencing the benefits of it. There's there's this already not yet right, right. Uh, kind of sure. thing that we've talked about, and the when we when we enter into eternal life, when the offer here in the beginning of John to proclaim that he's seen that the eternal life, that that isn't something that doesn't start at our death. It starts actually at our rebirth. Right. Um, Cause we were spiritually dead and we're made alive in that eternal life, that abiding with the father, that koinonia is something he's offering for the right now. He wants them to have fellowship with them and with the father now through faith. And so, um, so, this orientation of looking at my life, my current life right now, and, and the current life of the body and, and the church is to say that we are in this overlapping time where the, the world is still here. The, the, the world of darkness, this present evil age, which I mentioned last week from Galatians 1 and, and other places, is passing away. That we, we know it's defeat. It, it's still here. It still resides, but it's in its decline um, now, now, when I say that, I'm not saying that the world is is going to constantly get materially better or physically better. Okay, I'm not. Some people call that like post millennialism. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that things are going to are necessarily our experience of of the world. We're still going to have those desires and and things, but they're um, they're not showing themselves to be victorious. They, within the life of the Christian. They, yeah. they're, they're passing away. And in the life of the Christian, in the life of the church, that we start to see another kingdom being built, a kingdom that is valuing the things of the Father. And it's that that's enduring forever. And, and if you've been a, a Christian for a while, hopefully you, you, you can identify that within your own life, within your own church and community, that there is this other thing that I be, begin living towards, and those things actually become attractive to me. Um, as opposed to the d- desires of the flesh uh, and the eyes uh, and in the world, right? Right. So, the, in a sense, it can be even in a temporal way. These lusts that we have, right? Right. They're fading away because uh, let's just. I was thinking about um, some of these most gorgeous movie stars in the '40s and the '50s. Yeah. You know, for those of them that are still alive, you ever see a picture of them? It's like 
Uh, I don't have any problem not lusting after that one. <laughs> she barely has all her teeth, you know. And so you can see, you can see it passing away just right in that, you know. There's there's this thing, and we're also not to put your um, your hope in things that will rust and the moth will corrupt and, right. and stuff because eventually it is going to pass away in a flash of heat. Exactly, and, and and you know, just like I mentioned, the Ford, you know, if your neighbor comes home with a brand new Ford Bronco, right, you know. If you drive that long enough in Michigan winters, it's going to rust. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's going to pass away. It's not going to endure and abide forever. And that doesn't mean that the beauty of its design and the creativeness of the arc of the, the, the designer and the engineers and all that kind of stuff can't be appreciated. But the, the point is, is that those we see in this world, death itself shows us that, right? And so we either believe in a in a physical world without God. If we're, if I'm an atheist or a naturalist, and I see the worst world that's passing away, then then it's like okay, that's just what everything is, and I accept it, and I and I just I just deal with it. But no, we say no. That the, there is a promise that God has made to set all things right, and He's ushering in a new heavens and a new earth that are going to abide forever, and we actually get to participate in that reality now because it's all life is found in the Father. And that life that abides forever in the new heavens and new earth is all, we mentioned this, I think, a few weeks ago or last week in terms of the sun, right. that revelation needs, you know, it says that it needs no sun because the light of the Father is, is there. Right. Um, all to say, again, it has to do with where's our orientation? What's defining this? What's defining our desires, our affections? Where do we draw life from? And the life that we have, the eternal life, back to the beginning of this epistle, uh, is, is the, the desire is for fellowship with the Father and the Son, in which we have fellowship with each other. And so, uh, do we look at the world that way? Do we, do we understand um, there is, there's things that are passing away, and there are things that are abiding forever? Right. And, and so, uh, do I make constant daily decisions and choices am i orienting my life around that which abides forever uh, and and that's tough uh, because uh, there's still a, a strong draw to some of the things in the world and they may not be as even as scandalous as alcoholism or pornography or some of those things but it could be something as, as simple as um, having a nice Middle class, upper middle class home, uh, from which um, is nothing wrong with having it, but but yet I, I'm finding that's my comfort, right? I'm, and my yeah. security, right? Exactly. Right? I th- this book, not only this letter, but the entirety of the scriptures, is about two categories of people: those yeah. who are in darkness and those who are in the light. And those who are in the darkness are in darkness are those without the light of Christ in their lives, right? They um, are a life of death. So even if you are living the good life, so to speak, and everything's good, you don't have many bad things and you are, you're thankful for the things that you have, um, but you are without Christ in your life, all your hope and the thing, whatever it's in is going to pass away. Yes. Into nothingness or into eternal death. Right. Right. And for those who are believers, do you have to give up some of the things of this world? Yeah, but the joy that we have in Christ way overpowers all of that, just as much as the light overcomes the darkness, right? Right. And so our focus when it's on Christ is to understand that we live, we move, we have our being in Christ, and that is an eternal hope that we have, and that is going to be something that abides with God as he abides in us forever. You want something that's only temporary or something that abides forever. And if you already have the light of Christ in your life, focus on what you have, not what you're missing out on for a temporal purpose and your, your joy will be full. Amen. Amen. Well, I think we've uh, covered our bases, so to speak. Here, I mean, there's much more we could talk about, but uh, as we as we look towards next week, um, 
we're going to start getting into... We're going to get into those end time things that you were talking time, about. <laughs> those end time things. And and I, I think it's it's important that I think verse 17 there is, helps us, really helps us orientate. Where 15 to 17 really helps us orient, orient ourselves into that as we talk about those um, actual personalities and things who are going to be setting themselves against, against Jesus. And so come back uh, next week and we'll jump into that. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we'll look forward to it. Have a good day, everybody. Be sure to join us next time as Pastor Matt and myself continue our discussion on 1 John and wrap up Chapter 2. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.